0: Yeah. Hey, what's going on? Welcome in to another episode of First to the Floor. Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Alongside me, Celtics blog writer and columnist and the world's newest Peyton Pritchard stan, it's Wayne Spoonie. Spoonie, how's it going, man? I am not the newest paid Pritchard stand. I've been a paid Pritchard <laughs> stand for a long time, Ben. Forgive but me. I'm, I'm doing good, buddy. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. It's uh, Things are heating up here in Australia as we, we head into summer, and things are heating up with the Celtics. His preseason is well underway. Uh, before we get into that, um, have, you, have you got a column coming out this week, Spoonie, for Celtics blog? I do. I got the uh,
1: my my new weekly column, the three-leaf clover, should be dropping tomorrow, talking about Pritchard's playmaking, the triple P, Peyton Pritchard playmaking, uh, Svee Mahalik <laughs> just knowing how to play offense, and in defense of Derek White, not making the top 100, where I put ESPN
0: on a list, and it's a <laughs> list you do not want to be on. Do you know who did make the top 100? Tobias Harris. Grant Williams. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) These guys, unbelievable ESPN. Absolutely unforgivable. But uh, we'll we'll get to that maybe a little bit later if we've got time. So you mentioned it, Spoonie. Peyton Pritchard, obviously the story of the preseason so far, but we're going to start with someone who might slash should be the story of the regular season. And please, God, the playoffs and the finals if we're (laughs) we're blessed. Chris Stapps Porzingis. What are your early takes on Porzingis uh, early in the preseason here, Spoonie? So, I'm going to start with offense because I had no concerns
1: offensively with Porzingis. And I feel like he's been ad as advertised offensively 14, five boards, 58, 80% from three, which is probably unsustainable. But oh, uh, it'd be great. <laughs> yeah, it'd be great <laughs> if he sustained it. Uh, but, you know, just like, burying deep shots quick trigger at seven foot three it's absolutely unguardable 71% from the line which is a little low I think that'll go up but he's getting to the line often and last year outside of the Jays nobody on the Celtics got to the line I'm pretty sure Horford took like 43 throws last Mm -hmm. year so um, maybe the one downside of his offensive game three turnovers per game in like 20 something minutes but you know, super small sample size, not not real concerned about that. But I think offensively, it's everything we hoped and dreamed like he's flashing that mid post game. He had that insane, like fake tripped up Philly defender dunked on him quick trigger threes. I mean, it's it's been basically everything. The pick and roll with him in the Jays in that first game just looked like unstoppable, especially with Tatum. Him and Derek White seem to have some chemistry, and our offense seems to really revolve around him in a way I haven't seen since young Horford. Remember when we first got Horford, and it was like Horford pick and roll, Horford handoffs? Like, it was yes. just, Horford just had the ball. He averaged five assists a game, you know? Um, and that's what it feels like to KP. Like, he's setting the down screen as the primary action. He's running the pick and roll. So, offensively, it's been awesome. Yeah, but he would Go ahead. Go ahead. No, please. sorry. Go ahead. I want to hear your concern. My concern was defensively, and he's erasing a lot of it. We have a hundred point zero defensive rating in his minutes, which would by far lead the league. Not even close. He's a plus eight point nine net rating, but but we saw Tyrese Maxey, <laughs> like a guy who can pull up against that drop and make shots. Is a little terrifying. Um so defensively there's gonna be a weakness. We know it. We've talked about it before. Uh, but I, I feel like his rim protection has been completely on point. I feel like he's been doing a great job mostly, other than maybe that first game on the defensive glass. So I'm extremely happy with Porzingis
0: overall. Yeah, he seemed a little bit more dedicated on the boards there in this this game just gone by, uh, which was great. But uh yeah, you wouldn't say that he's been dominant but like what stands out to me is how much of a difference maker he clearly is in just two preseason get two preseason games in super limited minutes in these weird varied lineups where like we didn't have the Jays in the last game and yet like clearly like you said like he's kind of the fulcrum Offensively, we saw a couple of plays of just like just simply dumping the ball down low to him in the in the post. And you know, one of those plays, he did turn the ball over, unfortunately. Uh, but where we're seeing like the ball being dumped down to Porzingis, the defense collapsing towards him, and like unlimited kickout opportunities, uh, which is fantastic. Also, you mentioned it. The pick and roll chemistry with Derek White seems to just be this naturally occurring thing that is required almost yeah. no... Pra- I'm sure they're practicing like crazy uh, in the our back center there, but that's just a really nice thing to see as well. Getting to the line, um, it's just amazing. I, I, just, I can't believe how um, quickly it's come to fruition. I'm just like, yes, yeah. he is the difference maker. And unfortunately, the whole thing, as we've said, is going to hinge uh, on health. Um, which is just going to be a, a point of stress for us all all season. Um, our guy, Nate, on Twitter posted this clip of Drew Holiday and Porzingis running pick and roll. And like as we play it here on the YouTube stream, you just watch as Porzingis rolls here, the entire Philadelphia defense collapses, leaving Al Horford wide open for three. If you think about the personnel on this team, and we're going to get to those guys, particularly the, the bench personnel and all the, the three-point shooting prowess there, like, That is so exciting. And that play is without the Jays on the court. Imagine what that is going to look like with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown on the court. I've started to to tear up here, Spoonie. I'm getting crazy, irrationally excited again. (laughs) (laughs) I I think maybe the
1: thing, I mean, I, I know he's seven foot three. I know he's athletic. But Rob Williams goes out the door and my immediate concern is like, oh my God, we lost the vertical spacer. No, we didn't. We have a seven (laughs) foot three dude who's athletic like that one handed alley oop dunk he took down from Derek White in that first game was absolutely absurd. Like Mm -hmm. he is Rob Williams rolling to the rim. He does not have the passing chops that Rob does, but he can roll to the rim in the same way that Rob does. And he can shoot threes and he can handle the ball. Like, how do you guard this guy? I know in in our Slack, Ben, that you you were commenting about how everyone's drooling over Wemby and drooling over Chet. And you were like, we've got that guy in his prime. Like, he was the first (laughs) unicorn. And, like, dude, his handle
0: is legit for seven foot three. Like, it's crazy. (sighs) it's so good we could just do the Paul Zingas yeah. pod right we <laughs> yeah, could do probably. an hour on Paul Zingas and how how hyped we are um the last point I'll say is just it's so nice to have another guy with this much gravity Jay's level gravity yeah. on the court and that that's really like the, the biggest contributing point to everything we're talking about and you know why we can't wait to see a lot of sample size of, of Paul Zingas on the court with both Jays is because that much gravity among that uh distribution of of, of individuals on the court at once is is the recipe for a spicy, spicy offense. And yeah. so we've seen that um, really like top to tail as far as the lineup is concerned. Um, the ball movement's looking really impressive so far. But we saw that with early Missoula ball last year, so we don't want to overreact to that, even though I already have in our slack, as you you <laughs> yep. pointed out there, Spoonie. Um, we want to get to the wings and really just the, the I guess, the, the bench depth as a whole, because we were fortunate enough, like if you're a Celtics nerd, that second game against the Knicks, where everyone was rested, that's where you really—that's a game you can really sink your teeth into as a Celtics know. But all these guys that we've signed, and we're, we're looking for love, we're looking to fall for some of these guys and, and become invested from a fan and perspective in some of these players. We we got to see a good chunk of them, and you know some are great, some were not so great. Some in Delano Banton's case were great one game and terrible the next. Yeah. So Spooner, you had this great idea to to rank the wing depth on our bench on this podcast. So I want to throw up to you here to to kick this one off. Okay. So I I think there's two types of
1: rankings we could do, right? Like who's played the best in preseason or who do we think is like ranking like the rotation, right? And I think those rankings will come out slightly different at the top, Mm -hmm. but otherwise would be the same. So – I I think we should rank like who do we think Missoula trusts the most right now. I agree. Okay, all right. So I would have number one, Sam Hauser. I think sure. he he showed like you know he couldn't make a shot those first two games, and then last night he was much better defensively. He still looks fine, and I felt like he's dedicating himself to the defensive glass. Um, so I just I have absolutely no concerns about Hauser, and Hauser's one of those guys like. He's going to look bad playing it in that like pickup game style that like, in that Knicks game where it's just like he's not that type of player, right? He's born to play off high gravity wings, a high gravity big like Porzingis. Like that is what he excels at when other people take all the defensive presence and then he's just wide open and can make shots. Um, so I I would have Hauser number one. I think there's one guy that you could argue is in contention for that.
0: Uh, but Ben, do you agree? Hauser one. If we're if we're Joe Missoula, Hauser one. If we're Joe Missoula, if if we're us also, by the sound of it, uh, yeah, I would say like, and this is where I'm gonna need you to like kick me if I'm overreacting, and I may very well be. Folks in the chat, feel free to do the same. Kind of looked starting caliber last night low level low level starting caliber but he looked so comfortable out there and he was very fluid in all the schemes offensively and defensively the shot was back four of nine from three that shot I think is gonna is gonna find its level as the season progresses and just perfectly adequate defensively which is like you know he's not amazing but he's just fine he's he's at a level a zero level he's not particularly positive not particularly negative He's just fine, and a guy on that salary, at that you know, uh, point in the rotation, that's the most that you can ask from him, so I think he's delivering on all levels in that sense. Yeah, and he had he had a nice drive of a closeout to kick to Porzingis.
1: Porzingis was like thirty feet from the hoop and still buried the three. So like I yeah. don't know how useful that play is on a different team, but it's very useful on the Celtics. Oh, dude, so.
0: baseline drive, kick out. It was awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it was great. And that's not something he really did at all last year. So I, I think he I think he's confident in that he has a big role on this team. He knows it. He's gonna keep firing. He's gonna keep playing this his game. So I think he's he's my one. If I'm Joe Missoula, um, if I'm ranking who's playing great right now, or if if I'm if I'm Joe Missoula, I think there's a clear number two. I think it's Svi uh, mm. uh Svi has really really impressed me. He's bounced around. I think he's been in the league for six years and he's been on seven teams. But last year in 20 games with Charlotte, he averaged like 14-5-5 five and five or something crazy like that. And that dude has carried it into preseason. I mean, he knows how to play offense. I, I mean, he just understands off-ball movement. He's got a decent handle. And the shot's falling. I think my biggest concern with Svee offensively is if the shot stops falling because it really hasn't gone down in his NBA career uh, defensively. He's not great, but if he was great defensively, he would be like a max type player. So yeah, I don't exactly. know. Sfee number two. Yeah,
0: right. SV number two, Ben, you with that? I had SV like down my list. I had two other really? guys ahead of SV because I, I just think like Hauser gives you everything that SV does as Fair. well as better defense. Whereas, you know, because of his. Negative wingspan in Steve's case, talking dimensions here. He he gets bumped down my list a little bit because we do need guys who can hold their own defensively. Okay. And the, the the thing with like the wings that we're evaluating now is that they've all been thrown out there together, right? Because we're resting most of our starters, and we're not necessarily having much of an opportunity to look at them within the context of how they fit in with our starters. And you know, in the case of Hauser, for example, like he can, like I said, hold his own somewhat defensively, and therefore. Not be like a point of vulnerability and exploit defensively for an opposition if he's out there with the Jays. Sve is exploitable defensively, which is why Definitely. I was looking at guys like Lamar Stevens and even, dare I say, at Delano Banton ahead of Sve because at least he can they can hold themselves defensively because they're going to defer to the Jays and Paul Zingas offensively anyway. Does that make any sense? So.
1: Yeah, no, no, absolutely it does, right? You're looking for a mix of skills off your bench. I think, you know, we've, we talked about it before is like, you don't, you don't want guys who are a C minus at everything on your bench because they're not good at anything. You want hmm. guys who fit into a specific role. You want guys who fit into a specific scenario. Um, And, you know, I, I think you can make the argument if Hauser's just kind of a better version of Svi, I think Svi does different stuff offensively, but if he's playing with the Jays, he's not going to have the ball in his hands like he has sure. these last two preseason games, right? So I think that's a great argument. I think you convinced me, but who would oh. you have it to? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm I'm with you. I think if I'm Joe Mazzulla, I think Svee's below
0: at least one of the other wings in that case. But who would you have it to? Well, f- before I give you that, the, the, I think my Amen. main counterpoint to my, myself on Svee is that <laughs> if if you are an elite kickout option, which is Svee so far has been this preseason, like that's probably the most value that you could add to the J. So that's where I would sort of throw him up my list a little bit. But then again, Hauser's giving us that. So I I think um, there's some redundancy there in Svea's case. I actually had, and this stock has taken a dip in the last couple of days, Lamar Stevens, the three point Mm. shot. It's not there. He can get to the paint. He's demonstrated that little free throw line, pull up J defensively, particularly one-on-one pretty solid. Team defense, and this is the the same for O'Shea Brissett as well. Very confused so far when it comes to switches and yes. and, and sort of sch- schematic defensive actions. But you know, is a good, solid uh, physical body out there. Great dimensions, um, and I, I think you know we talked about that redundancy between Hauser and Svee. So I've got to throw Lamar Stevens up there just because of the defensive versatility that he brings to the team. I'm willing to have this I, argument shut down.
1: I, I I absolutely love how in on Lamar Stevens you are, Ben. I started think I, to regret I, it a little bit. I said I said it when we were on the playback. I was like, I love this take for you. Um, So I, I would take a little bit of issue with Brissette being confused on defense. I think he was definitely that first Sixers game. I think he's started to figure figure it out uh, defensively. Started to find find the scheme. Um, even last game, he was pointing to Pritchard at times, being like, "Get down there, get to the switch, get to the corner shooter. That's your responsibility, not mine." So, I think Brissett seems like a quick learner defensively. Uh, I think him and Stevens, you can make an argument for either of them. Um, if you're going to put them above S- Svi, I-, I would probably lean Brissett personally. Just because, like, he has some history of making threes. <laughs> but if Lamar's shot starts going down, it doesn't even have to go down a lot. Just, like, 33, 34% from three. he He's a better player than Brissett in that case. Like, he, his handle is, like, sneaky good, man. Like, he's throwing behind the backs. He's getting into the paint. He's dropping like these little followways in the lane. I'm like, who is this man? Jalen Brown? <laughs> I, I was shocked at like Lamar Stevens' ability to handle the ball. Um, I think Brissett reads the game really well, though. Um, like he knows when to drive, he knows when to cut, and he I think he's figuring out the defense quicker than Stevens. Um, but I, I think they're mostly interchangeable at this point. Uh Brissett's taller, Stevens like 30 pounds or 20 pounds heavier. And you saw Joe trusted him to play center in that first game, which actually worked really well. Uh, And they both get their nose in on defense. They both want to rebound. They both play really hard. So they're they're super similar players. Steven's skill level, maybe a little higher Brissett's reading of the game, maybe a little higher. So it's just kind of whatever you need in, in that particular uh, scenario on the court, I think. Hmm.
0: Okay, no los dos? Why not both? Yeah, We We can keep them both. Yeah, we got <laughs> yeah. plenty of room. Both very versatile. Uh, apologies yeah. for the Australian-accented Spanish there. I don't even know if that was accurate. Uh, I got it from a burrito ad from 10 years ago. You did nail it. You nailed it, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, maybe something that does tip it in the favor of O'Shea Brissett. He's got the YouTube channel, as Spoonie's cat makes an appearance for everyone's uh, bingo (laughs) card there. He's got the YouTube channel, and I've I've seen and looked on with a lot of envy for other teams with players sort of midway around the rotation who have these great really well produced like vlogging platforms on youtube and it just gives you this insight into the team that you don't get obviously we're talking yeah. way off the court at this point but the the fact that O'Shea brings that to the table from a fandom perspective suddenly we've got this new insight into the team that we never had and for him to stick on the roster and con- continue to put out those productions all year and hopefully into a, a deep playoff run and a championship dare i say it um that's that's a great addition to the team. So uh, sure. maybe if you forced my hand, as much as I've been high on on being an advocate for Lamar Stevens, maybe we're going to go O'Shea in this case. Um, who did you have next? I, I think it's got to be Banton
1: after mm-hmm. those guys. And, and in fact, I I think you could make an argument for Banton over a few of these dudes just because he's so different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it depends what you're looking for. His pop off the dribble, he's he's. Got a little more his, his first steps quicker than i than I thought in the half court uh and like having a dude with an elite level handle at six seven is just a bizarre skill uh that I, that I think teams aren't really prepared for when you go to the bench and just being tall defensively helps like if you can run him at point guard and have a six foot seven point guard and then you know that that can help Richard. who's kind of more of a shooting guard in some ways uh so he can play next to Pritchard and kind of handle the primary ball handling duties and then guard up to the shooting guard while Pritchard takes the point guard so he's a nice fit with him off the bench um so I I, but personally I would have as a pretty clear fifth uh just because we need shooting off the bench Mm -hmm. and he just cannot shoot the ball uh But I I don't know. He's had a weird preseason. He seems like he might be incredibly inconsistent, which might just be a thing for his career. But hey. Coming from Summerlee, I expected this dude to get cut, and he might yeah. make
0: his way into a, in a into a roster spot. He he may well make his way into a roster spot, and I had him yeah. getting cut as well, or most likely to be cut. But yeah. you know, if he he is wildly inconsistent, that's like the biggest detractor. He's so good at his best, and he's so bad at his worst. Yeah. Like worse than the other, the next worst player on the team by far, which is what got him pulled out of the game uh, last night by Missoula but you know he brings that defensive versatility you mentioned the first step. he gets to the rim and part of that is yeah. just like getting positionally where you know the average player is capable of get, of capable of getting but then the reach that he has for his position his wingspan allows him to just get better looks under the hoop um, from you know layups and uh, we haven't seen many dunks from him so far but he's just he's better at you know um Using his dimensions, I might say, to, to get uh, uncontested looks under the rim. He's only 23, so you, you, right. might, you could make an argument that the issues of inconsistency could still be addressed as he matures as a player, a la Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. Um, and if he were any more consistent than he currently is, then we wouldn't be able to afford him. So that's kind of what you get right. at this price point. So I, I'm very high on Banton at this point and high on his potential um but then again we're going for a championship this year Spoonie like do we want to gamble on a guy like Delano Banton getting as good as we need them to get throughout the course of the season um I'm not sure I don't know I, I will yeah, say that I- <laughs> my rankings have changed multiple times in my mind compared to what I've got on page here throughout the course <laughs> of this conversation so I'm all over the place right now
1: yeah, I, I think you're right that Banton clearly has the highest ceiling of any of these guys. Like dude, if he just starts to shoot the ball decently, he's gonna be insane. Like he mm-hmm. will be a really, really good player. If he can be kind of like a an actual off ball three and like his ability to drive in his first step attacking closeouts will make Stevens and Brissett look like me and you out there. You know what I mean? like he's mm-hmm. just he's just so much more explosive than those guys. Um, I think they're both better defensively, but again, like he's a big wing that doesn't get blown by every single possession. So he's, it's not like he's a bad defensive player or anything like that. So, um, yeah, band's just a weird, he's a very unique player in a lot of ways. You just don't see a lot of guys like him out there. Like, is, could he be Sean Livingston? I don't know.
0: Maybe, I don't know. That's what so. makes him so intriguing. Right so, right, so, we've kind of touched on all of the names here, and it's been a bit of a shuffle as far as the rankings. So, I guess just trying to to aggregate everything, the first couple of name, names mentioned were Hauser and Sfee. So, that clearly shooting with, like, even just a lick of defense, that yeah. clearly seems to be, between you and I, the priority off the bench. So, Hauser yeah. and Sfee, and then it's kind of Lamar Stevens, Delano and O'Shea Brissett in terms of the hustle plays, the defensive versatility. In Delano's case, the ability to get to the rim for someone, of, you know, at his position that only leaves one more name, Spooty. Walshy.
1: Jordan Walsh. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I think like, look, clearly Joe doesn't trust him, which is fine. He's, uh, Is he even 20 yet? I, I'm not even sure he's 20 yet. Um, I will say when he's played, the flashes are there like that strip and layup he had. I think it was against Julius Randle, too. It was absolutely gorgeous. I can hear your mouse clicking, so I'm assuming you're about to run it, Ben. <laughs> no, no, I
0: don't have it. Oh, you don't have it? <laughs> no, okay.
1: Um, so I, I think the flashes are there. They put him on Deuce McBride because I think he doesn't understand the defense yet. So they were like, just crowd the ball handler. Mm-hmm. He got burnt a couple times, Deuce McBride, proud of West Virginia. So shout out WVU, <laughs> Deuce. Uh, but he also was all over deuce on a couple possessions as well. I thought he did a really good job, but I I just think offensively he traveled a couple times, although at least one of them was not a travel. Uh, So he's just raw, super, super raw. I would be shocked if he's a contributor this season, but I think he's shown enough to make me very encouraged about his career going forward.
0: Yeah. That's my landing point as well. Encouraged about, What's to come, but he is a green banana w- well away from being ripened and, and ready for eating and devouring right. at this point uh apologies for that analogy uh yeah he's had some great moments some great moments of individual defense I love that he is almost uh incapable of being beaten off the dribble like he's he's great at recovering uh if he does lose his man momentarily but you know i'm I usually do a pretty decent job of um like block reading the screen and interpreting what kind of defense we're playing, whether it's a zone and then what type of zone or man to man. And with Walshy out there, he's so all over the place that I, I lose that ability. He's so out of position. Yeah. He's got no idea what's going on. It's impossible to sort of understand team wise, you know, what we're doing defensively. So he's got a long way to go, but he does have those instincts. So he will pick that up. A hundred percent. And then at the rim as well, he's got some nice touch, which, which I think you mentioned. So, you know, the, the potential's there. We still love Walshie. There's no love lost for our, our mate, Jordan Walsh. Um, he's just got such a long way to go and just a, a bevy of talent ahead of him as far as like, cracking right. the rotation. So uh, it's going to be a fun year for Walshie in Maine. Um, should we get to our guy, Peyton Pritchard? Let's do it. Let's All do right, it. Let's swing to PP here. Okay. Up next. One on the clock
1: for Pritchard. of Marcus Smart.
0: That's a nice spot. You that are listening.
1: <laughs> if you are listening, you need to go on YouTube and watch 27 minutes in
0: because that was an incredible Peyton Pritchard intro. It's my best work to date, I think. <laughs> uh, look, what I said about our wing reserves is that like they've all been out there together, and we haven't had a lot of sample size mm-hmm. of like of them playing with the Jays. Pritchard's been out there; he's been fairly dominant, and like he's been playing with all reserves as well. Like it's not like he's been able to benefit from the Jays' yeah. gravity pulling defenses away from him, and yet he's been like largely dominant, particularly offensively. He's been incredible. So, what's been your take on on Peyton Pritchard so far this preseason? Yeah, I mean, he's averaging
1: 21.3 and 4 assists. So, uh, he's shooting 42% from 3 on 10.3 a game, which is absolutely absurd. But I think the most impressed I've been with Pritchard this year is that his assist percentage last year was 15.3%. He's at 29.3 in the mm. preseason. Um, so it's just absolutely kind of a different player if you're up that high in assist percentage. Like, if you're shooting at an elite level and you're playmaking at that high of a level, I mean, you're you're just a different guy. Uh, so, I, I don't know what to expect from Pritchard in the regular season, but... I'm really comfortable with him essentially being the sixth seventh man at this point like he's been that good man like super impressive and you're right like often he's by far the best offensive player on the court for the celtics and it hasn't stopped him at all so I mean the the deep shots aren't always gonna go but it seems like he's more confident getting into the lane getting into the paint kicking out hitting floaters he had that like, a couple little, like, mid-range jumpers that just look so pure and smooth. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some lob passes. We're seeing him lob to, to Kaida here. Um. So, like, I, I'm not sure he could have played better in this preseason. Like, he's been incredible, dude. He might have been our best player.
0: Yeah. Has there been any greater source of joy in your, like, basketball world than Peyton Pritchard, like, in the last <laughs> week or so? he's He's been fucking incredible. Yeah, no, I, I
1: don't I don't think so, man. Like as hyped as I am for Porzingis and Drew Holiday, like the story is Peyton Pritchard right now. I think like he's been that good, man,
0: and like some of the shots he's hitting are just bananas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those those pull up middies in the yeah. the paint, like deeper than the the like closer to the hoop than the free throw line. But yeah. it's like it adds a new dimension to his game where he's not right. just like layups and threes now. He has this ability to like get the defense backpedaling. And pull up, and you know we don't know the percentages. NBA probably, you know, rightfully so from that perspective, don't offer tracking data from the preseason. Yeah. But he's pretty money from that position, suffice to say. So it's been a lot of fun, and just coming off the back of the the contract extension and all the, I wouldn't even say drama from last year because he handled it quite well. Well, he he made his thoughts and feelings known while not creating a rift uh, among the team, which is a great and a real good sign of, of uh, character from his perspective. But um, to, to see it come to fruition now where he's like a legitimate part of the rotation, definitely like solidified as the seventh man on the team. And, you know, we talked about that star depth as far as like we've got like four true stars on the team now, like and Derek White and Al Horford to the point where if one or two of those have to miss games, We've got enough star power to to continue to to win, hopefully, without them. Peyton Pritchard just adds a new dimension to that. Like clearly we've got more reliable offensive productivity. Do you like what do you think about it just being the preseason? Like, do you think this is going to continue into the regular season or do you think we're maybe overhyping things so far? Look,
1: I I mean, I don't think his numbers are gonna like his raw stats aren't gonna be as high just because he's not gonna play as many minutes, but like this dude shot 40% for his entire NBA career before last year and largely his minutes last year were in garbage time. He played like 400 or 500 fewer minutes last season. Mm -hmm. And clearly Brad Stevens believes in him because he would have traded for a guard if he didn't. Um, And so do I, I don't, I'm not sure he's going to shoot 42% on the types of threes he's shooting, but he won't need to take these types of threes when he's playing with the actual rotation. Um, and I I'm, I'm just super encouraged by how confident he looks getting to the rim and attacking. And and you're right, like that little midi, uh like you need that as a small guard because you can't finish over people like Drew Holiday does, right? Like Drew just goes all the way to the rim and he's finishing over these monsters, but he's six foot five, right? Pritchard's six one, six foot. Like he can't do that. So if he's got that little eight-footer, like it's the same results, two points. It's just a different way of going about it. And I, I feel like defensively, Pritchard's always going to stick his nose in. He's always going to try any boxes out. And I think that's super important for this team that I think we all agree, like, rebounding
0: might be an issue. So, I mean, I'm pumped, dude. I'm I'm hyped for him. Yeah, especially regular season. Defensively in yeah. the playoffs, like he's gonna get played off the court. He just will. But, you know, regular season, he comes in with that energy. He's picking up guys full court. He's a you know, a, a spacer for the Jays and for Paul as well. Like he's going to be critical throughout the regular season. And I think he's gonna have some nice glaring playoff moments as well, if all sure. goes well. So very excited. You mentioned as almost part of a, a perfect segue there, Spooty, Drew Holiday, another point guard who plays for the Boston Celtics, recently acquired. He's played two games now, one off the bench, one in the starting lineup. Hasn't exactly dominated, but I think with Drew, like it sort of comes down perception-wise of like how he's performed so far, of what your expectations have been of him early on. So what are your takes on Drew Holiday's early performances as a Celtic?
1: Yeah, it, it kind of feels like he's just trying to fit in you know what i mean like he's not trying to dominate the ball like he's going from essentially being the second option in milwaukee for the last two years because middleton hasn't really played um and now he's the fourth fifth option at times uh so has not blown me away but he's had those moments uh he had a couple drives last night where it was just like classic Drew Holiday, where it looks like he's going in slow motion, and then all of a sudden he's past somebody in lane and laying in with his left hand, uh, shooting forty three percent from three, which is like what I think is probably the one of the most important stats for him, considering who he's going to be playing with. Hasn't attempted a free throw. Look out for that. Drew's big weakness offensively is he does not get to the line, which is you know kind of unfortunate, but. He goes around people with Euro steps and just uses his strength. So uh, he's just not a big free throw guy. But otherwise, like I, I just think he's 33, right? He's not going to be going balls to the wall in in the preseason. And it looks like he's not been going balls to the wall, and he's still learning everything. Man, he just got to Boston like five days ago or six yeah. days ago. So uh you know, I haven't been blown away, but. I also haven't been like, oh, boy, like when Lowry got to Miami and
0: everyone's like, oh, this guy's done like that's yeah. <laughs> not been my
1: response either. Yeah, no.
0: Do you uh, do you give him a pass uh, just in general, like given everything you said, given like, he's, he's barely been in Boston for that long? And yet, you know, he was quite productive in limited minutes in this game last night against the, the Sixers. He does seem to be kind of like Paul Zingas as well, like ramping up productivity wise and and fit wise as we sort of gradually integrate him into the team. But the way that I look at Holiday so far is like, I just give him a pass for for everything because it's just going to take time.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. And I just think like if this were the playoffs, like he would be going all out and he would be a complete game changer for us. And that's just not going to happen in preseason. So I'm totally fine with Drew. I've got absolutely no concerns. I think we're good. Like I said, athletically, he looks the same. Defensively, he's going to be everywhere. And he's just got to learn what he needs to do, what he needs to give this team when he's, you know, the fourth, fifth
0: option. Agreed. I look forward to just the the day where he's fully integrated and we're like the the Brad Stevens image is fully actualized and realized. Yeah. Uh, do you have like a a point in the regular season that you sort of predict that to to happen by? Is it sort of ten games, twenty games? How long are we going to have to wait? I guess. Is the I I almost game. said.
1: I, I literally was thinking Christmas Day. Christmas like, Day. I just it feels like. Not that he'll be bad before then, but it just feels like by Christmas, you've really kind of got your team together and you understand schemes on both sides, and the chemistry's had time to. It takes a while to learn how to play with somebody, man. It really does. So, um, like you think about it, when we had that huge turnaround under Yudoka, it came like January 6th or so was that last loss against the Knicks when Barrett banked in that three, and then they took off. So I, I think, yeah, probably Christmas before it's a hundred percent incredible. Like we're spoiled by that Kyrie SMD era when they went like seventeen and two or whatever it yeah. was. But I think it'll take a little bit. I mean, we're gonna be really good before that. But I think truly to be like, wow, Drew is tr- like really integrated in this team and understands. Both sides of the ball. It's going to be December. I would bet. Where Where are you
0: feeling? You're You thinking like November tenth? <laughs> I hope. I hope it's like game yeah, one against too. the Knicks. But <laughs> yeah. I think I think you're right. I think Christmas is um sort of like a a modest and and generous period of, of ramping up for Drew Holiday the difference between now and two years ago I think is the team is just so talented they just got so many yeah. individually high talented players and guys like Tatum and Brown who have been with the team and, and played under Missoula for long enough that way. We, we might still win a shitload of games regardless of the ramp up for, for Drew Holiday so yeah we, we might get the best of both worlds in that sense shifting to another point guard This time for the opposing team the Sixers Ugh, I hate the Sixers should we be terrified of Tyrese Maxey? Because he has been um, ridiculously productive against our new look team so far in the preseason. Is that something that we should be concerned about going forward?
1: So I I think the one thing about the Sixers that I've not heard, like, we've all been preying on their downfall. We've all been digging the grave, burying them with this heart and stuff. But, like, there is a chance that Maxey just turns into a next level of player, right? And, oh, boy, kind of looked like it might be happening. And that would be absolutely fucking terrifying, dude. (laughs) That would be not good, right? Like, are you scared of him? Because I'm I'm worried. I mean, I'm not worried about, like, playing them in the playoffs. But, like, if he keeps playing like that,
0: I might be. I'm scared of him individually. I just can't be scared of the sixes as a whole. There's just too yeah too much going on wrong under the hood there for the seventy sixes and with the Harden situation and Embiid cresting over age thirty, which for a person of his size is a significant yeah. age milestone to reach. I, as a as a whole, I'm not concerned about the sixes. and so I kind of look at it as like, and this is probably a sign of how like pathetic the sixes are in my mind. I look at it as like, good for you, a nice little <laughs> win here, like oh you got something. Yeah out of the process but like all in all overall like it's not going to be enough to get over the Celtics let alone the Bucks maybe the Heat the Cavs etc so what's more concerning to me is the player archetype of Tyrese Maxey and you look at the Donovan Mitchells of the world the Damian Lillards yeah uh, it's it's that player archetype that we're gonna have to be concerned about like um point guards or or Crafty two guards who are really crafty with getting around screens and and finding space, particularly when your bigs are are playing in drop, which is what Al and Porzingis are going to be doing all season long, all playoffs long. Us giving up those looks to guards of that caliber, and there's so many of them along the around the league because we sort of had a point guard renaissance in the last five to ten years or so. That's really concerning to me. But then the one thing that negates that, Derek White. Drew Holiday, incredible screen navigators. Maybe that negates the the vulnerabilities that we give up with our drop defense and our less than speedy, less than fast footed uh, bigs. There, so we'll see.
1: Yeah, I I think you know we're just gonna know going into the season that's the type of player we've got to be worried about. Unfortunately, there's some teams in the East that have those guys, but ultimately, like it takes a lot for one of those dudes to win a game by themselves. You know it. They, they really have to make a ton of jumpers, and that's really hard to do off the dribble for four games in the playoffs. So yeah, maybe we might lose a couple games, but I think on balance, what we're betting on is that like White and Holiday are going to get over enough screens, we're going to be able to mix up the coverages enough, and they're just going to miss sometimes. Um, so yeah, a little scary. I mean, Dame Lillard and Milwaukee don't love it.
0: But <laughs> yeah, that's where we're at. <laughs> that's where we're at. I'm, I'm I'm sure for all the don't love it points that we can make about Tyrese Maxi and Dame in Milwaukee, they're probably thinking the same thing about Paulingus and Drew Holiday in Boston as well. So it yes, goes, 100%. it goes both ways, and potentially in our favor, albeit you know we are very biased Celtics fans. Um, moving along, are you worried about Luke Cornette? Because I am. Concerned at this point because he has been bad in a word, very, very, very bad.
1: I'm, I, I, I don't, I feel like I've been on this take for a while. I'm not a Luke guy, I never really have been a Luke guy. Like, he's fine, I guess. I mean, I worry that like we kind of threw the change up at teams last year and it was like, oh, Luke Cornette's playing. Oh, we have zero tape on this guy because why would we bother? (laughs) And he was like, good enough. Uh, So, yeah, I I guess I'm extremely worried about not having a third big that I'm confident in. But how many teams have that, I guess, is the other, you know, the other side of the coin?
0: Yeah, I mean, how much? Is he really a third big, though, if we're potentially going double big, you know, if we're potentially playing so much Al and so much Porzingis, even if we don't go double big, that we, like, have a legitimate reliance on a third big, say, 15 to 18 minutes per night. That's terrifying when you attribute that yeah. to Luke Cornett. Like, so I am a little concerned. Namias, Keita, I don't know, like, it's preseason. Yeah. He has a lot of faults. Are you beginning in your mind at least to favor him over Luke Cornette? No. I think – So, okay. I
1: I just, like, I am – For some reason, I've had, like, an interest in Keita since the draft. I caught, you know, some of his Kings games. I caught – You know, I, I, like, looked into him during the draft because I I can't even remember. I think it was three years ago. We had a pick and – He was projected in a mock for us. So I looked into him like. Off he He's kind of like Luke in a lot of ways where he's just like he's just big and that's like the best thing about him is he's really, really big. I do think he's probably a better defensive rebounder than Luke, but Luke's going to. Yeah, Luke's going to be a lot better, like understanding the game, being that handoff guy, stuff like that. So. I think Keita is somehow even slower footed than Cornette, but he's he's kind of changing my mind. He's looked springy in in the (laughs) preseason so far, I guess. So I don't know, man, I just feels like we need a trade is where I'm really coming down with it, because I just I just can't trust Luke Cornette.
0: Yeah, feels like a deadline deal at this point. I think we're as far as Cornet's concerned, we're going to give him a lot more rope, at least you know, going into the early stages of the regular season. And we, you know, we've got more picks, we've got that trade player exception, we've we've got maneuverability, and that seems to be the the most fillable uh, and urgent position of need for the Celtics. So we'll see. We're going to wrap up on this. Is Jalen Brown underrated at this point, point? and is it time to reset? The conversation around jalen brown and spoony correct me if i'm wrong but you have written or are in the process of writing something about this
1: yeah so i i'm writing a deep dive if you ever watched the spoony celtic show, <laughs> um, show years ago uh yeah yeah it's a it's a underground classic a cult, a cult <laughs> classic uh I did a deep dive comparing Jason Tatum to elite wings, and it's a really deep statistical argument. So I, I'm doing that with Jalen Brown right now, with Donovan Mitchell, Zach Levine, and Anthony Edwards, because they have similar assist percentages and similar usage percentages. So uh, but I, I added this to the run sheet because back in the let me take you back to the late 90s, early 2000s. Please. Allen Iverson was like the most celebrated player in the league, and he shot like 40% from the floor, like in under 40% multiple years. And we celebrated him because he scored a lot. And then the advanced stat revolution, we understand efficiency, three-point shooting, and we've gone like the pendulum has swung all the way to the other side. But I think we've kind of lost the plot a little bit is like if you are good enough to score one on one against people often and efficiently like Jalen can, even if you're not great at anything else. You're super good at basketball, like you're (laughs) you're one of the best players in the league and Jalen Brown is one of the best players in the league. I've, I've seen people be like, he's our fifth best player. He's our fourth best player. No, he is not. Maybe Porzingis could maybe make an argument. But would we trade Jalen Brown for Drew Holiday straight up? Absolutely not. There's no chance in hell. Like, he's always balled out in the playoffs. Like that heat game seven, that that heat series was rough for him. But other than that, he's always been good in the playoffs. He was great in the final. Well, good in the finals. Like Jalen Brown is somehow. Has the richest contract in the NBA and is underrated at this point. Like the the conversation has gone so far that we 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 need to come out the other side and start celebrating dudes who can just cross someone up, get to the rim, and score two points at, in a dead possession. Like that is so valuable when there's nine seconds left on the shot clock, nothing's happening. You toss it to, to, to this dude and he shoots mid range jumpers at fifty percent. Like that matters, man. And Jalen.
0: Is awesome and he's amazing and I can't wait for him to ball out this year. Yeah, man. And people forget like the last two seasons and I'm only using the last two seasons as an example because that's as far back as my small brain can can think is <laughs> he had long stretches of carrying this Celtics team, mm-hmm. long stretches where Tatum either wasn't playing or um, more likely he just wasn't shooting well, wasn't performing well because he has had periods that we like to forget of inconsistency, particularly shooting sure. from deep. Jalen Brown has been carrying this team for for long stretches of multiple regular seasons. He is, for the most part, a solid, reliable, and an all-NBA player and multi-time All-Star. Somehow, we live in this world where we're so lucky that a player with that resume is our second best player. But yeah, he has his flaws. Everyone has their flaws. Tatum has his flaws. But he is an incredible player. He has become und- undervalued and um, victim is the wrong word, but the, the focal point of neg- negativity, we might say, among Celtics fans and, and worse so like NBA Reddit fans and just NBA Twitter generalists who don't really know ball, who don't really watch Celtics games, but are happy to like pinpoint a few clips of turnovers in Jalen Brown's case and attribute these really negative aspects to him. But he has far more positives than he does negatives in his game and is going to be crucial to whatever this run ends up being, championship or bust. So yeah, it is time to reset the the conversation, Spoonie. I guess the most important question is like beyond what you and I have just said, like, how do we how do we kick that off? How do we spur a change in direction for, for Jalen Brown? I, I don't know, because the
1: stats <laughs> tell me Donovan Mitchell's better than him. So it's kinda, <laughs> <laughs> the piece I'm writing is probably it might not do. It. He's certainly better than Anthony Edwards and Zach Levine. I think there's probably people who would make the argument Anthony Edwards better than him. But here, let me just give you some of his stats, please, in that that finals run 23 and a half points plus 9.8 net rating in the playoffs in in the finals run playoffs 57.4 true shooting percentage. So like league average is right around 57% in the regular season. Defenses get better. Efficiency drops in the playoffs. So b- above average efficiency, 23 and a half points per game. And we were plus 10 per 100 with him on the court in the playoffs. Like <laughs> that is not the trappings of a dude who is overrated in the 40th best player in the league. That is a dude who's sniffing top 20, right? And that's what Jalen is. He will probably never be more than that, but that's okay because we got a dude who's top 10. You know what I mean? Like he's a perfect second (laughs) banana. He's awesome. And the way he's been talking about playing defense this year has got me really, really excited because I think that's where he needs to turn it around. We talk about, oh, stop the turnovers, you know, play, make more. He's just not going to be that guy, but he can. Concentrate on defense and become sort of that Clay Thompson type where he's a lockdown defender and a great individual scorer. And then all of a sudden, like this dude is going to be incredible. Like he's going to be a net rating monster, which he's never been in his entire
0: career. So cannot wait. Totally. And it's weird how people get caught up on the contract situation, but they do so relative to the NBA financial landscape of the last five years. What you need to do is look at it relative to what the NBA contract financial landscape will be in the ensuing five years, the duration of the contract. And it's only going to be a small matter of time until compared to other players of his caliber, like Jalen Brown's contract is going to look completely standard, a cookie cutter NBA contract. So keep that in mind next time you're using his contract as an argument uh, against Jalen Brown. All right. Good times. We kept it under an hour, Spoonie. That is gonna do it for this one. Thank you so much for joining us. By the way, uh, first of all, if you're watching on any of the CLNS channels, head over to the First of the Floor YouTube channel, subscribe. You know, the more subscribers we have on the channel, the more clout we have when reaching out to potential guests. So any subscribers and, and reviewers and commenters really help with that side of the game for us. It's a pretty competitive landscape there in the Celtics podcasting game. Also, this is your last chance to enter our five-star Walshy campaign. To enter, leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and let us know how to contact you. Extra points for humor there and we'll do the draw uh, a week or so from now and the winner will get their very own Walshy jersey in the mail. Spoonie, love your work, mate. We'll be back early next week. Until then, go Celtics.